Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. Today we're looking at shepherding the flock. And we've only got 14 verses left in 1 Peter, starting chapter 5 today. I'm very grateful for God's work in and through us as we have worked through this book. I'm very grateful for your hunger for the Word of God. And I just want to say that you might be tempted when you see the idea of shepherding the flock and you notice that Peter is addressing the elders. You might say, well, I'm not an elder. You know, Mike can stay. And are there any other elders in the room today? Raise your hand. My eyes are... Uh, Alan can stay. Mike and Alan are going to have a small... And Al, the two Alans and Mike are going to have a small group today. And Dan, you know, it's, i got to use my reading glasses. Is what it, I see you now. I saw you before. So we're, it's just going to be an elder meeting here, and everyone else can go get a donut. And let me tell you why you don't want to go get a donut right now, besides the fact that they're horrible for you, okay? You don't want to get a donut right now because the Holy Spirit... Speaking through Peter is addressing the church, addressing us, not just the elders. He, at this point, is saying, I exhort the elders among you, but he is writing to the church, to these scattered churches throughout Asia, and he is writing to us. And it's very easy, very, very easy in the church to think of church leadership in ways that are not biblical. I think one of the reasons why you don't want to go get a donut right now is because God wants you to see what are your leaders called to be and do. So it's not just for the elders. It's for everyone. So please take your Bibles, 1 Peter 5, and please stand with me as I read verses one through four. One through four. We're going to look at this for two weeks. I'm going to look at the first two verses today, but we'll read all four verses. This is God's word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, we need you. We are desperate for you. We want to acknowledge our complete dependence on you and pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our fellowship today. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
So right off the bat, you see it, the main idea in this portion of Scripture, and it's found in the very first word of verse 2, the word shepherd. That's the main verb, that's the main focus, that's the main idea, that's the exhortation. Peter says, I exhort you elders to shepherd the flock of God. It's God's flock, it's not your flock. And God's flock needs faithful shepherds to guide them and to feed them and to protect them. God-given, spirit-led servants of Christ's church. In my office here at Grace, I have several things that remind me of my calling to shepherd the flock. One is a shepherd figurine that my mother-in-law gave me years ago. It sits right next to my phone, and it's, it's a, a picture. It's a shepherd holding a lamb in his arms. And the other is a picture that was in my grandmother's house for many years, and it's a scene. It's an antique picture of a, of a pasture scene out in a meadow with a shepherd with his sheep. I love that picture. But I've got other things that remind me as well. I've got bookcases filled with books. I've got pictures on the wall with Bible verses. I've got pictures on the wall with people and their faces in those pictures. And every one of those things in my office is reminding me on a daily basis, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock. But I did not grow up on a sheep farm. And I have never been a, an actual shepherd dealing with real, live, fluffy, beautiful sheep. I know some people who have. In fact, one of our own men, Gary McCarty, it was, uh, raised sheep in Ohio. But what I do know is this. Shepherds care for sheep. And, and sheep need a shepherd. But I think if we're going to understand what Peter is getting at here and, and what his audience originally would have immediately known without any explanation is what do shepherds do and what are sheep like? As a pastor, I love the Bible's shepherding motif, the theme. It's scripture-wide. Most prominent is Jesus, the good shepherd, the the great shepherd, the, the chief shepherd, as First Peter 5 says. And the Bible is full of shepherd imagery, but you don't have to go very far in the Bible till you, till you reach real shepherds and real smelly sheep. Full, the Bible is full of actual shepherds. But I want to talk a little bit to give us some context about sheep and what they need in a shepherd I don't know if you know this, but for example, sheep are the only animal in the world that can be totally lost within a few miles of home. It has no sense of direction, no sense of orientation. It doesn't know where it is, and it does not know how to get where it's supposed to be. Jesus, by the way, saw the disoriented, confused, helpless, and harassed Multitudes, and he felt compassion on them because they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. They were lost. They were disoriented. They couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't find water. They were, like Isaiah says, of mankind, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned their own way. We're disoriented. We're lost. We're we're not able to find our way to the sheepfold, and we have no shepherd to lead us apart from Christ. But sheep grazing or in the pen they need very careful attention they need very careful care because they will get lost and they won't be able to find water and they won't be able to find food and they'll eat the wrong things and they'll roll over and die in fact if you think of sheep like fluffy cotton balls or something if you think of sheep in their full cotton ball regalia where it's really grown out I just had a flashback, and, and I'm, I'm one of those that I see a butterfly, and woo, I got to tell you about it. Um, I just had a flashback. When I was in high school, I had an afro. <laughs> All right? Can you picture it? We're talking 1970s. It was awesome, by the way. I'm very proud of it. I had a pick and everything, and um, I did. I had a metal pick and a, and a plastic pick. Um, but my, but, but we, I, there were some people in my family that used to make fun of me, and they, they actually used to go, bah, because I had really long sideburns, too, and that was really fluffy, and I guess I looked like a sheep, a lamb or something like that. But if you think of a, a sheep, and it's all fluffed out, and it's got all this, all this wool on them, right? The cotton balls and all that. The thing is, they got to be sheared, because if they roll over in that in that state they will not be able to get back up on their feet and they will die they roll over on their back they're dead meat and the thing is even when the shepherd comes up and puts the sheep right back right side up he's got to comfort that sheep because the circulation has all has all turned off and so they're they're about to die they're going to die on their own they're probably the most vulnerable creature there is by the way they can't protect themselves they, they, can't, they can't kick, they can't jump, they can't fight back. In fact, a lot of people will say that, that sheep are not very smart. They're actually very intelligent. But if a wolf comes and goes after them, they will get right into a tight formation and they'll all go together, which you know what that does for the wolf. It's like smorgasbord. It's like, which one should I pick? And they need constant attention. They get lost. They can't find water. They can't find food. Sheep need really clean, clear, pure water. And it can't be too hot. It can't be too cold. It has to be just right. And it can't have water that is moving too quickly because they will get swept away and drown. It's like Psalm 23. The the Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me be, beside still waters, quiet waters, safe waters, good waters. And you do often think of sheep as white, fluffy, cuddly creatures, don't you? You know, you might have held a little lamb before, and they might be like that when they're babies. I don't know. I've never held a little lamb, but I've seen them in petting zoos, and I've seen pictures of real sheep, and they're actually very dirty, very sticky, very greasy and oily and stained. 
because they have this lanolin that just kind of oozes out of them and everything sticks to them sticks will stick to them in fact their own refuse will stick to them in fact if you're a shepherd you probably not want to hear all of this right now um, so you might not want to listen to this part but if you're a shepherd and you're taking care of your sheep you need to shear the, the, the hind end of the sheep because then its excrement won't stick to them and literally clog them up and kill them and I don't even want to tell you what flies do to sheep in 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 uh, you know, laying eggs in their ears and other things and their brains getting eaten by maggots and things like that and then beating their, their heads against the wall to get rid of the pain. You don't want to hear about that. <laughs> and when you're a little lamb, your tail gets cut off for one of the a similar reasons so, that it won't, so you won't get killed by all the stuff that's going to stick back there. And, lead, and, and sheep follow the leader. You know, you've played follow the leader before, right? Yes? You like that game? Well, sheep will play follow the leader. They'll follow the good leader. They will follow the bad leader. I've actually heard that in New Zealand, when, in, when they, they have like a lot of sheep in New Zealand, I guess, and they raise them and all that. And Anybody like mutton? Mutton? You don't like mutton? Okay. Um, they have a Judas sheep that will lead the sheep to the killing place. And it's, it's, a, um, it's a castrated male that has basically uh, has one sole purpose, lead the flock to the killing floors. And as soon as they get to a certain spot, a little door opens up, he drops down, it closes up, the rest of the sheep go right onto the killing floor, and that sheep goes back around and gets another group. They will follow, and I think there's like a billion sheep in the world, and they're not picky eaters, they're not choosy but they got a certain bacteria in their stomachs that I guess helped them out with some of that. And they can't defend themselves. They are they're defenseless. But what you will find is they are amongst the most useful animals that God created. And you're not going to want to know all the details about this either, but you can use every part of the sheep. Every part. Very useful. So when Peter is saying, shepherd the flock of God, everyone in the group is knowing about sheep and shepherds. We have to get a little bit caught up. But you need a shepherd that is careful and thoughtful and wise if you're a sheep, or else you're going to die alone. Sheep need a shepherd to guide them, to feed them, to protect them, and to provide carefully and thoughtfully and wisely. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Elders, listen up. And, and people in the churches, listen up. These are what your, this is what your leaders are supposed to do. Peter has the heart of a true shepherd. Peter, Peter doesn't pull rank as an apostle. He doesn't lord it over those allotted to his charge. He, he pours out his heart. Peter's audience is going through tough times and it's going to get worse. Difficult persecution rough going and he humbly he boldly tells them the truth he, he exhorts them he encourages them he comes alongside them the elders of these scattered exile congregations and he addresses the elders and basically says to the people listen in because you need to know what your elders are called to be and do so it's a word to the elders it's a word to the people and what we're going to see here and I think there's four questions that are going to help us 
unlock the beauty of this passage. It's a very beautiful passage. I love the shepherding passages in Scripture. I love this passage. But four questions. We'll look at two today and two next week. But first of all, who? And secondly, what? Thirdly, how? And fourth, why? We'll look at who and what today. Who are the elders that Peter is addressing? Who are, the, who are these people that he is, is, is speaking to? Not just back then, but today. Well, back then, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he starts this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to... Believers in all of these regions across Asia, these scattered churches, he's talking to the elders in the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But he's also talking to the elders of the church of all ages, and he is talking to us. It was kind of sad this week. I got a, an email reminder. I get several of them, and one is to pray for unreached people groups. And so I was praying for the Pontai people of Pontus, one of the places Peter wrote to. Well, there was a church, and today there is no Bible in their language, there are no known believers, and they're all Muslims. Isn't that sad? In the place that he wrote originally. But he's not just talking to his original audience, he's talking to us. And here you have a command from Peter to the elders of the church, to the pastors, to the shepherds, to the leaders. Now in the context, he's been speaking of a fiery trial that's going to come upon the church. Here he is writing, most likely in the year 64 AD, a few months after Nero had burned Rome and had blamed the Christians. And these recipients are scattered throughout the Roman world. They're feeling the pain of persecution. They're feeling the, the pain of being ostracized and blamed for the death of many people. The heat is getting turned up, and, and the Holy Spirit is telling them, here's how you suffer for Christ. You expect it, you rejoice in it, you endure it, you, you entrust your soul to God. He says, better to suffer as a Christian now than as a Christ rejecter later in eternity. And in the context of the fiery trial, Peter is zeroing in now on church leaders. Back in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. God is first going to judge the true church, and secondly, he will judge those outside the church. And he is making it very clear that God's refining fire leaves no one untouched. A believer will receive approval or discipline. An unbeliever will receive condemnation. And I mentioned several weeks ago that Peter was probably referring to two Old Testament passages when he was speaking of this fiery trial. One of them being Ezekiel chapter 9, when God is calling for the executioners of judgment to begin with the elders in God's house as they brought judgment on Jerusalem for its sins. So in connection to 1 Peter 5.1, where he says, So, or literally, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. He's saying this judgment is coming, and, and your task 
elders, is not to be set up on a pedestal. Your task, elders, is not to be thought of as better. Your task, elders, is not to boss people around, but your task is to lay your life down for the sheep. And it's a very grave calling. It's very weighty. It's very significant. It's, it's, it's one not to be taken lightly. He says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the glory that will be revealed. Peter is exhorting, strongly charging the elders and that word exhort, you would know, it's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, parakaleo, exhort, to call for, to come alongside and encourage, to appeal to, to plead with, to make an appeal. And he says the elders, it's plurality. He's addressing these elders in various churches all throughout the Roman world at the time, and he's addressing us. And the point that he's making is this is an interdependent fellowship of accountability of faithful servants in Christ. And he doesn't just say, okay, you elders, I'm talking to you. He says, I'm, I'm addressing you as a fellow elder. I'm one of you. I'm on the same level as you. In this plurality, he's not sitting above them as a non-engaged supervisor. He is appealing to them as one of them. I urge you, I exhort you as a fellow elder, fellow worker in the gospel, fellow overseer of the flock, fellow traveler, fellow steward of God's riches in Christ, fellow sinner in need of God's grace. He's one of them. The elders are not to be unilateral leaders they're to act as a plural fellowship of faithful servants in Christ. And then he says, he identifies himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That's a very curious credential that he gives. He could have said, I'm an eyewitness of his glory. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he didn't. He could have said, I'm an eyewitness of his resurrection. He was at the empty tomb. But he didn't. Instead, he, he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He is showing that he is an apostle, but he is also doing something else. The Holy Spirit had him return to the scene of his greatest failing. His most heinous crime, where he three times denied that he knew Jesus. This threefold repudiation of Christ, where he slips out from under the weight of all that Christ was going through and he misunderstands grace and he maligns the word of God and he refuses to side with Jesus. He brings us there. Witness of the sufferings of Christ. He rejected that opportunity to, to suffer for the name of Christ. And now he is embracing it wholeheartedly and now the Holy Spirit is having him extol the beauty the greatness of Christ's sufferings? Well, he had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that's why he could also say, 
I am a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. But he goes to the cross, and he was probably remembering well his failing. Isn't it easy to remember our sins against God, against others? Peter is bringing us back to that moment of his greatest failing because Peter is not wallowing in that. He is rejoicing in Christ's sufferings for him because he had been washed by the blood of the Lamb. He had been forgiven. He had been recommissioned by Jesus. And so he can call himself a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And yes, he had been on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he did not partake in the glory on that mountain. He witnessed the glory. But here he is saying, church and fellow elders, we're all partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. So verse four, when he says, when the chief shepherd appears, that's the chief shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and died for, the, for his church. The great shepherd who got rose from the dead and the chief shepherd who's returning, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna enjoy that glory. We have that future hope. What are we calling this series in First Peter? A living hope. A living hope. We've been born again to a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If you're in Christ's church, if you're one of Christ's sheep, if you're in the flock of God, you've been born again to a living hope. And he's reminding them once again that we in Christ are full recipients of the grace of God, his glorious grace, and therefore full participants in his, in his great work until he comes. Peter is talking to the elders and also speaking to the church. That's who. Now let's look at what. What are shepherds called to do? Look at verse 2. First word, shepherd. So shepherds are called to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. You've got some significant words here. He's already called himself an elder. He's calling out the elders, and then he says they are to shepherd and oversee. Shepherd is the word poimen. It's where we get our word pastor from. It means to care for and to oversee and to feed and to clean and protect and provide for. And then he uses the word exercising oversight it's, the word, it's where we get our word bishop. means overseer. It's the word episkopos, where we get our word episcopal. And it's a common Greek word, but it's intensified by the prefix epi. The root is scopus, where we get our word for scope, like a telescope or a microscope that focuses on something. And episkopos means to look at something very carefully with careful scrutiny. And in the verb form, it actually means to visit. Think about it. Jesus, God incarnate, visited his people. Peter speaks of a day of visitation when he is coming back, referring to his return. But the word here, episkopos, is a military term used of generals that came 
to visit the troops to see if they were ready for battle. So we get our word supervisor from the word episkopos. And it has to do with vision because you're an overseer. But the purpose of the bishop or the overseer is not to find fault in the sheep, not to pick out little things and nitpick, but to shepherd them, to help them. And Jesus is the epitome of a shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So elders are called to lay down their life for the flock. I want you to notice, too, the com- combination of the words elder that's the word presbyteros where we get the word presbyterian from shepherd we get the word pastor from overseer bishop episcopos but it indicates they're all there in two verses and it indicates that in the new testament church these terms were interchangeable that elders were were shepherds they were pastors they were overseers and it it points out different different functions they were to guide They were to feed. They were to protect. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. Not your flock, not your people, but God's people among you. That means there's got to be a relationship. There's got to be a togetherness. There's got to be a engagement. There's got to be an interest in each other's lives. There's got to be a commitment concern a care not just going along in a big crowd being unknown not dealing with total strangers now realize that some churches are set up like that like amusement parks where people don't know their shepherds because they don't have shepherds says exercise oversight a lot of people want to get off the bus right there either they don't want to oversee other people in a good way or they don't want to be under anybody's supervision that's why god gives a picture of shepherds that lay down their lives for sheep not shepherds who lord it over those allotted to them god has been very gracious to me Since March 17th, 1985, I've had the privilege of being a shepherd in Christ's church at three different churches. First Baptist Church of Downey from 1985 to 1992. Voyager's Bible Church in Irvine from 1992 to 2006. And Grace Church of Orange from 2006 to the present. Two weeks ago, March 3rd through 6th, I attended a shepherd's conference. I think you might know what that was about. It was, it was for shepherds of the flock. Reminded moment by moment and daily of the call on our lives to, to lay down our lives and to guide and feed and protect God's flock that is entrusted to us. I was gathered with almost 5,000 other Shepherds to, to be reminded that we need to trust God to do His work in us and through us to bless His church and the nations. It's very interesting. 
when he uses this word shepherd here in verse 2. Peter doesn't give a big explanation of what a shepherd does because everyone knew what a shepherd does. So when he uses that term, he basically lets it stand and then he's going to go on and talk about three vices you shouldn't do as a shepherd and three virtues you should seek. And a big reason why in verse 4. But I want to zero in on the rest of our time together today on this idea of shepherding the flock. Because the original audience knew all about that and knew what a shepherd did, but here we need to explain this a bit more and we need to go into a little bit more depth. What's a shepherd to do? Well, I've mentioned it before, but the primary task was to lead, to feed, and to protect, to guide the sheep to water and food, to let them graze safely on that food and water and to guard them from wild animals and enemies. And I think you see the connections that a, a elder, a, a pastor, a shepherd, a leader is to, is to guide a, a group of people to, to good nourishment, to good food in the word of God and and, and let them do that safely and to keep them from error and to keep them from false teaching and to keep them from things that might destroy. Think about Peter. And he's being recommissioned by Jesus. Jesus asks him, do you love me? Then shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. The shepherd's main job was, was to guide and to feed and to protect Jesus didn't tell Peter here's what I want you to do entertain my sheep make my sheep feel real comfy and cozy make my sheep think that you agree with everything that they might say or do because you don't want to offend anyone and he didn't say to beat the sheep he didn't say to poison the sheep he said he said feed you know, pastors and elders in churches today are under enormous pressure to be and do things that they are not called to be and do. Maybe things that aren't bad, but things that are not the primary calling. Glorified activity directors, psychoanalysts, fundraisers, community leaders. The primary work of a shepherd is to lead and to feed and to protect the flock in the context of relationships where the shepherds know the sheep. And not just the sheep that like them, not that the sheep that come up to them and get close, but all of the sheep, the wandering sheep and the restless sheep and the herding sheep and the suffering sheep. I was thankful when I came to Pastor Grace Orange that the elders gave me a position description that reflected the primary requirements of a shepherd. Number one, diligently seek a vital and growing relationship with the Lord as a student of the scriptures and a man of prayer. Meet the qualifications of an elder as outlined in scripture. 1 Peter 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. And the primary responsibility listed. Number one, serve as the primary Sunday worship service teacher. It's my number one responsibility. By the way, I invite you anytime you want, come by the office, and, and I want you to see my office. I've got it taped up there in my office. 
and I got you can see the shepherd figurine you can see the picture of the shepherd you can see the verses that I look at every day check out my books if you'd like you learn things about people when you look in their office you will also learn that I like UCLA I'm a big fan I've got a two helmets in there with uh, signed one signed by our only Heisman winner and our and one of our Hall of Famers you'll see that I like hiking because I have all these hiking sticks in there I even have a shepherd stick from South Africa the shepherd uses I saw shepherds using these to to um, lead their lead their herds but I am not called to feed you with my opinions I am called to, to feed you with the word of God, the inspired, in, inerrant, infallible word of God. And that is why I'm so committed to going book by, ver- book by book, verse by verse, through books in the Bible, so if you show up one Sunday and somehow the word of God hits you straight between the eyes, you can know that your relatives didn't get a hold of me and ask me to preach that for you. You can just say, thank you, God, that you had that for me today last week when my friend newton chilling gulo was preaching i listened to all three of his sermons it was it was a, a treat to sit and listen to his sermon three times and it wasn't the same every hour he used the same passage of scripture but god gave him some words to say in each hour that were stunning to me in fact, in one of the hours I was sitting there, and, and some of you I, I, I haven't even met, some of you I know very well, and everything in between. But I know many of you and what you're going through and what, and what you need in terms of encouragement or in terms of things that you're going through in terms of pain and suffering even. And, and Newton said something in one of the services that I was blown away by because sitting in the service was someone who needed to hear that word from God. I asked him later. I said, do you remember saying this one phrase in one of the hours? I'm not going to tell you, by the way, what it was or, or what time or where I was sitting. He says, well, yeah. I said, well, you know, you only said that that one hour. And, and he doesn't know your stories. I didn't tell him. And I'm telling you, I was blown away because I thought, wow, I know that person needed to hear that. Praise God. I like to say that my words may challenge you. I hope my words would even comfort you, but only God's word can change us. You will not be changed by my words. You will be changed by the word of God. We could spend our entire time today reading the word of God. And and God would do his work amongst us. Now, I love Nehemiah 8. It's where I get the idea of standing up for the Bible reading. But they did other things in response to the word of God. They raised their hands in praise to God. They fell on their faces before God. But there were also people amongst the people who, after the word was read, explained the meaning so the people could get the understanding. So it is good to have things explained. That's the idea of expositional preaching is read it, explain it, and apply it and trust the Holy Spirit to, to, to put it out into the hearts of all of the group that gathers. You've heard me say it before. I will keep saying it. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God and the lives of the people of God 
for the glory of God. He wants to change you by his word. The Holy Spirit wants to use the word of God in your life. Two more things and then we'll be done. I guess the time has got away a little bit here. Two more things. Jesus uses the picture of a shepherd with his sheep to describe himself and his chosen ones. When Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, one question we must ask ourselves, I must ask you is, are you a part of God's flock? Are you one of his sheep? Jesus very clearly said in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and they know me. So I think at this point you would know if you know Jesus or not. If you have come to the point where you realize that, wow, God made me and he is righteous, but I am sinful and and I am lost without Jesus and Jesus is the only Savior, he died for my sins on the cross. And so I want to come to him in faith and in repentance towards him, turning from my sins and going in the way of Jesus. I hope that you can say, I'm one of Jesus' sheep. He says to the religious leaders of his day, I told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Are you one of Jesus' sheep? Are you part of God's flock? You have got to make sure. And next week we're going to see how elders are to lead and why. But I want to close with a passage of Scripture that perfectly reflects what Peter is saying to us in these first two verses of 1 Peter 5. I want you to go to Acts chapter 20. And while you're looking for that, I will just say that years ago there was a competition amongst artists of who could, who could create the most calm and peaceful scene. And several contributors contributed various scenes of meadows and babbling brooks and sunrises and sunsets. But there was one picture that stood out, the most dominant. Along the coast, a raging storm, and a shepherd high up on a cliff, waves breaking on the cliff, and the shepherd holding a lost lamb. And the shepherd has his back to the storm, taking the brunt of the storm, and you see the lamb with a calm expression on its face. That's a shepherd. And Paul reflected that in Acts 20. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's 30 miles from Ephesus. He wants to talk to the elders, and he brings the elders to him. He says, I want you to know, verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable or teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to them, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. I want you to know our elders pay very close attention to their own lives and to our lives as an elder group. 
We challenge one another. We disagree with one another. We love one another. We spur one another on. We are brothers in Christ. Pay close attention to yourself and to all the flock. We've been, we've been convicted even more this year as we've read through a book on shepherding to shepherd the flock of God amongst us even more. We're not thinking that every one of us needs to know every single person in the church, but every single person in the church needs to know one of us, at least, and have a significant relationship with your shepherds. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own Lord God, we thank you that you have granted us life and that, Lord, for those of us in Christ, you've given us eternal life. You have placed us in your church and you have given us a local fellowship of which to be a part that has shepherds that want to do what you say. Lord, I pray that you would give our shepherds wisdom and, and strength and humility to guide the flock and to feed the flock and to to protect the flock that Paul says that even from within the flock there will arise people that speak twisted things and draw people away but Lord God we are clinging to you and to the word of your grace which is able to build us up and give us the inheritance amongst all those that you have chosen And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.